0: Hey folks, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Apple Podcast, episode number 74. This episode is brought to you by FetchClass.com. FetchClass.com is a teaching and learning website where you can teach and be taught in a one-on-one video conference. Right now, it's just for musicians and musician teachers, but I'm considering about opening this up to anybody. So if you want to teach people how to cook a meal, if you're interested on anything that deals with video one-on-one live chat system, then this is the thing for you. I know I'm stumbling on my words because I usually have a normal thing I say and I'm, I'm riffing. This episode is also brought to you by InsightRecorders.com. InsightRecorders.com is my recording studio where you can send me songs and I will mix them for you. If you have a little recording studio in your basement and you've got it kind of how you like it, send it to me. I'll mix it for you. I'll send it back to you. You can make notes. You can make it sound awesome. And that will be a very cool thing. Also, I'm taking bookings for my physical recording studio space, which is between May and August. If you want some recording done, get in touch with me through the insightrecorders.com website. Okay, cool. Affiliate programs. First one banggood.com b-a-n-g-g-o-o-d.com if you go to the Applelog.ca website you'll see the banner on the right side click on that banner bookmark the banner shop on banggood.com and get the most incredible deals out there and it takes a little longer than normal to get there but the deals are incredible and they have marital aids do you know what a marital aid is okay then you can get those in their super whatever marital 80. Another affiliate program, which you can also find on the Appalach.ca website, is Musician's Friend. Musician's Friend is a cool place to go shop for guitar strings, anything at a discount. There's deals all the time. Musician'sFriend.com. Also, the big one, Amazon.com.ca or .co.uk. Those banners are on the right side as well. Click on those banners, shop, support the show, bookmark the the links that you get. And you'll every time you shop, you'll be helping me out, helping the show out, okay? Go to the slash shop. You can purchase a t-shirt there. And the t-shirt, if you're within my area of Durham region, it will get hand-delivered to you. You can pre-order my acoustic album that I'm about half done, I'd say, maybe. You can also buy the whole Foursquare My Old Band's discography for $20. It's the deal of the century, okay? Get a bunch of songs. If you don't like it, oh, well, there you go. It's 20 bucks. What is 20 bucks these days? It's nothing. Go to patreon.com slash apologue if you want to support the show by pledging a monthly amount. Uh, you can make it a little or as little. You can make it a buck a month. Or you can make it as much as 4 to $8 a month. You'll be supporting the show's hosting fees, my gas fees to drive down to Toronto, like I did with this inf- interview with John Sutton, and just helping the show up. All right. Like the show on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash apologpod, and you'll get more news, more information. Make a comment there. Like the show. Do all that stuff there. Follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Don't forget to go to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Okay? Today on the show, I have a very old friend of mine, John Sutton. John Sutton is the old bass player for the band called The Weaker Thans. He was one of my first real friends that I met in Winnipeg when I moved there to join a band called Red Fisher. He's just a good soul, a good person, and here he is, John Sutton. There's a cat on my iPad. Oh, Johnny. Johnny. With what shall I, shoe it? Oh, shoey! There you go. John Sutton. (laughs) (laughs) That's my cat. (laughs) That's your cat. And your dogs are playing. This is good. It's like Noah's Ark here, but for cats and dogs only. Yes. And some humans. (laughs) There's a few humans living here, too. Thanks for inviting me into your house. Yes. My home. Home. Is it a house or a home? Well, it's more like a warehouse. Warehouse so it's home. It's like a house. A warehouse. warehouse. And here I am down in Toronto talking yes. to
1: you, my good friend. That was a lovely thing you did driving in today.
0: It's good to drive in from time to time and then I can catch what's happening in the world. You got enough volume in your cans there? You mean level? You got enough level? You want two. me to pot them up a little? Yeah. That's radio talk. Yeah, they're potted up just fine. <laughs> I just got this new headphone app, and I love it. It's good cuz everybody be like, well, "Huh? Hey, what?" And then you take the headphones off and then you start talking like this because they think that their mic Let's Yeah. Say, Some so- of us understand how the concept this works. Some of us don't. We go back a good 26 years. And I know when we met
1: you know when we met? I think it was at Highwood Music Festival. That's exactly right. And that
0: would have been early 90s. 91, I think. Yeah. Or 90. Could have been 90. Or 92, even. 90? Nah, I think 91. it was 1990, because I was on tour with this band called Mal Havoc, mm-hmm. and we played at 3 in the morning when we were supposed to play at midnight. <laughs> wow. I guess that there festival was wasn't so organized. Scheduling <laughs> issues happening on that. The interesting about that. The thing about that festival is the guy that put the festival on embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars and didn't pay really? a lot of bands. I didn't know that. And was then put in jail. I guess a couple wow. years later because he got caught because he tried it the second year. I don't think it worked out so much. And there was something like a hundred like rapes. Like it was just a horrible. Really? Yeah. There was all these weird statistics that came out of that.
1: Wow, I remember a lot of kids going to the local high. What's it called? The little river that was right there. Bathing. And they were jumping off the bridge, and then uh, there were lots of sharp rocks in there, and people were getting injured. <laughs> and there were also some wicked rapids, and people were doing these, like, free-flying rapid
0: rides fueled by alcohol. And uh, a short 20 years later, it becomes the weird refugee town for the floods. Yes. That's that's sort of that's where it became... I think even in that area it became the spot where all the people who got flooded out whatever Yeah, moving lo- to. The low plains of southern Alberta. <laughs> and what else did I... Oh, the Ramones played. That's right. It that was on their comeback thing, right? Or kind of comeback, Didn't I guess. did they play like two bands before Red Fisher or something? Or I, Coffin Break
1: was right after Red Fisher and it was jammed for that.
0: I remember Red Fisher playing... I think it was... It would have been the night before or the night... I think it was the night... After Mal Havoc played, because we went back and hung out more, and I saw Furnace Face, nice, and I saw Red Fisher for the first time, and and I didn't really even know John at that point, John Stewart. <laughs> I I came backstage and I said, "Hey man, how's it going?" He goes, "Do you want to beat me up?" Because he said that <laughs> crazy thing about uh, Ramada Gods. Oh right, and we started a, a yeah.
1: beef. Yeah, those guys had these; they were stealing some of our songs. At the time that's what it was. That's right. Yeah, our songs because we were both technically in that band
0: technically we were both bass players at the same time even at one point yes. Yeah, <laughs> i think so before i knew i was out of red fisher you were in yeah before and before
1: i actually knew i was in the band and
0: i was playing shows and, yeah and before i joined you had been recording with them that's right at that point too that's right in the early 90s the tom bmx ep wasn't that
1: me or was that you that was
0: you that was you, and then we ended up doing Tom BMX on the War Wagon CD. Album. Yeah, we did that song. Yeah, that with, that you basically was you were in like recording school or something, were right? you?
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. Mid Ocean School of Recording in Winnipeg.
0: Yeah, How, you know a lot of people came out of that, right? Uh, Samson, John K. Samson came out. Yeah, of that? he
1: went. He was in the same class as me. Yeah. yeah, but he didn't really get into a recording career exactly. But he, I guess, he did not as a recording engineer
0: but as a that's right. recording artist <laughs> artist <laughs> So you moved here you moved to Winnipeg from Regina in around that time right like you you were basically like yeah in that Winnipeg for not too long before I moved
1: there Yeah that's true I, I used to spend a lot of time in Winnipeg while I was living in Regina just cuz the music scene uh, was so great and also I was a aspiring BMX racer in my late teens i turned pro when i was 18 actually and uh uh i used to come to go to winnipeg a lot because there was a great bmx scene and then at night you'd go and see some great bands and it was like how do i not live here so (laughs) i was like 20 or something it was like around that time of high park 1990 ish okay of highwood festival
0: whatever that's right yeah the the and then you're right because regina was kind of i went through regina once in like the 90 with Down By Law and Trigger Happy. And there wasn't a lot going on there.
1: Yeah, it's well, it's like a lot of prairie cities. You have to know where to find the music scene. And if you're going in with a quality band like Down By Law and you don't see any scene, then you know that it was pretty dead at that point. But Regina's always had strong music and not as strong as, say, Winnipeg, but there's always been diehard musicians and
0: diehard bands. A lot of great guitar players come out of Regina for some reason. We figured it's the cold. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it has a lot to do with that, but it's cold in a lot of spots. And I think it just had to do with uh, just like there just happened to be a popular local band, say, in like the 80s that had real shredders. And everyone was like, oh, I want to shred like those guys. So everyone learned how to shred. And you can't get on stage unless you know how to shred in Vagina. <laughs>
0: Uh, things changed too, right? I guess metal was still pretty prevalent within the mid '80s, and the yeah, and it was still Metallica rules or whatever, or yeah, me- spray Megadeth paint Megadeth, or- spray
1: paint Metallica on a school, but spell it wrong,
0: <laughs> or have those bands with the unprint, unreadable fonts. Oh yeah, we're called De-Escalator Gorica.
1: I think those bands are are even harder to
0: read nowadays because of the eyesight, because they're older. Well, maybe it's my eyesight. <laughs> my eyes too. Well, maybe it's just that. Maybe our brains switch off from metal. Maybe that's the actually what happens is is chemically we get out of metal and we stop reading those fonts properly. Maybe um, I don't think I was ever too good at it. Mm-hmm. So were you ever in the metal? You were in, a,
1: were you know? Uh, you were kind of hair metal. Yeah, in the like in the teenage years in the eighties. Um, certainly, like mid eighties, early eighties, I really got into the whole Dokken and Wasp and Motley Crew vibe, but. Really, punk rock. Luckily, saved my life. My buddy Max from high school was wearing a DOA patch on the back of his jacket in the 11th grade, and
0: I said, "Hey, what's a DOA?" And boom, <laughs> that changed it all. Isn't that crazy? It yeah. takes one sort of influential person in school or in your peers that kind of just changes your life.
1: Yeah, no kidding.
0: I had it's that like, guy, person too. You know, like, and it's in, it's it's pretty exciting because. W- it's interesting to think thirty years ago what you would be had you not seen the DOA patch or realized or had an open-mindedness to understand what.
1: Yeah, that I think was. I think a lot of it. Your personality just kind of finds these things anyhow. Like the fact that I was drawn to a fringe sport like BMX, I think my personality just wants me to go into more of a fringe. Just how I I'm wired, I guess. Same with music; like it makes more sense. For me, as a person, to prefer weird music or stuff out of the mainstream, as opposed to just following what the regular people are doing, mm-hmm. listening to whatever's on the radio, and going, "Oh yeah, I dig this new song."
0: And in that crowd that I met in Winnipeg, I always there was this heightened sense of irony to be really into um, weird, not weird music, but as well as the most mainstream music ever. It was equally accepted in that pier
1: yeah I think it's irony is a weird thing because <laughs> was it ironic when you look back did, right were, were we really ironic when we were listening to Hall and Oates and going this is the greatest <laughs> ever
0: <laughs> having dance parties at yeah. seven,
1: or 701 McMillan yeah a bunch of punk rockers holding like full on like 80s dance party yeah And, you know, Corey Hart and the whole thing. Yet, meanwhile, we would never listen to that music. We just were like, this is funny. It
0: became so much fun. That's right. And also the... um,
1: Sustaining that kind of fun for like eight hours.
0: (laughs) But also the Herb Alpert thing, that tip that I got on, because Jon Stewart got put Herb Alpert on in the van. And it's like, I later on learned that music in the van doesn't need to be the most awesome music ever, always. That it gives you, it makes you think differently when you're listening to Tijuana Brass driving down the road. Yeah. That, you know, it completely, for some reason, changes your objective as to wh- what are we doing? We're driving to the city and we're listening to this music. and. This
1: ba-da-da-da. Ba-da-da-da.
0: You know, I later took that to SNFU shows and played it in between bands. So when SNFU came on, if someone had come up to me and said, this is the most amazing music ever, the show would always be amazing. Oh, or if they cool. were dancing around, or if they would <laughs> come and say, switch this shit off, it always turned into a fight or something like that. <laughs> it really was a gauge, a gauge for all. But yeah, the whole idea that there was, there was a, a type of music that wasn't. There was no. I liked it because it was everybody got the fair shake, whether it be Bon Jovi or DOA. There was it was all met with a certain amount of enthusiasm that I don't know if really still exists today. But
1: yeah, I don't know what really happened in those days. But <laughs> I know the music we loved, we loved, and the music that we thought was funny was hilarious like i think that music can be the ultimate source of comedy it's like when you're watching a serious action movie and it's just so cheesily made that you're like this is hilarious yeah, yeah. and i think that's how we kind of looked at a lot of music when we were kids but i think a lot of youth do that mock what they don't uh, I guess we understood it. We just mocked it because we yeah. were we we're dirty punks.
0: Yeah, it's just, there's just sort of a level of sarcasm or there's a level of sort of, like, I'm so into this. Like, we used to go to those cheesy dance places and dance our asses off, and we hated the music, but it yeah. was the most fun ever. We, w- we would make fun.
1: No. Yeah, it's weird being a kid.
0: Yeah, it was, it was it was always a good time, and I don't think I could go there without getting my ass kicked, now.
1: Well, probably not. They would look at you and... Like,
0: what's this old guy there?
1: Yeah, <laughs> 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 Someone's here to pick up their kids or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. How'd you get parking so easy? <laughs> you must have one of those
1: stickers. you
0: park in a handicap. Uh-huh. <laughs> the... Um you were in some bands besides red Fisher. you were in sandfly fever yeah i love sandfly fever they were one of my favorite bands in winnipeg
1: that's technical rock that's me bringing out my regina riffs and chops and licks
0: was there any was it just wait was so was sandfly fever from mostly winnipeg you were just the, yeah it the was, outsider
1: it was one of these things where i was like okay i'm gonna move to winnipeg but i'm not in a band and i've pretty much been in a band since I was a kid. I don't think I've really been out of a band for more than a day. And uh, <laughs> Right now, you're probably in 10 right now, I bet. Probably a few. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was in a band in Regina, but started looking around to see what was in Winnipeg, and I got a few leads. There were three bands that were looking for bass players all at the same time. And I'm like, hmm. So one of them was Sandfly Fever, one of them was Propagandy, and one of them was 12 Eyes. Oh, and wow. the first one I looked at was I wanted to uh, meet these guys in Propaganda because I thought the first two demos I heard were amazing. The Fuck the Scene mm-hmm. and uh, the, what was the other one called? It was Martial Law with a cherry on top. <laughs> and they're, they're like these cassettes. Self-release
0: cassettes. Yeah, yeah,
1: cassettes, homemade covers, the whole bit. And they, they just sounded so cool. But by the time I was uh, starting to show my face in Winnipeg more, they already had a bass player, which they got picked up John Sampson from Toothpick Hercules. And uh so then I started look I went out to a twelve eye show and they had somebody's brother playing bass, like a metal kind of guy, and I just assumed he was the new guy in the band, so I didn't even talk to them after the show. I'm like, oh I guess they got a bass player. <laughs> and then uh ended up meeting up with the Sandfly Fever guys and uh really liked uh what they were doing and uh got along with them really well right away. And uh, um, just started riffing with those guys. And it was very technical, very, like, melodic, but almost, like, bad brains at times. Really yeah, technical. definitely.
0: You know, I also heard a lot of, uh, like, My Name. Remember My Name was yeah. a huge band around that time? Yeah. I heard stuff like that. But also, <clears throat> because the guitar was so kind of chorused and stuff, and well, oh, I forget... Who's the mini pop in the band?
1: Oh, our singer who lives here in Toronto now, uh, Scott Montgomery. Yeah. That's right. He started his musical career as a mini pop. <laughs> There's Singing. still mini
0: pops. Yeah, they he, they still I think
1: he was on the Christmas album.
0: <laughs> what year? Yeah. Do you remember what year?
1: Oh, that's got to be in the '80s, sometime. Yeah, late '80s, probably.
0: Yeah, he later on went and did some Second City stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's still uh,
1: active in in comedy and writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, great guy. I. Was playing hockey with him until I recently stopped due to a hip injury. But, oh. But uh, great guy. I see him around all the time.
0: Scotty. Mm-hmm. And what's, you know, there's sort of like a, I guess living in Winnipeg or Regina, is, is there ever sort of like, there must have been that gotta move to Toronto, gonna make it, similar to moving Regina to Winnipeg. I mean, was there a sort of that sort of same feeling that like, I need to be here because this is where music is? or
1: um, We saw a lot of people in our, little Winnipeg world that were had that mindset and those are the people that we thought are going to fail like the people that are just it's like when you're in your mid-20s at least for me uh, the ideals are so high that music is the ultimate power and our message is so important and you, you meet all these people that their goal is to get on the radio and get the big video and tour everywhere and I guess that's that's great, but it just seemed like they were compromising. They didn't care what they were singing about or what they were doing. They just wanted the fame more than the uh true musical experience. And uh so consequently a lot of my scene in Winnipeg, they didn't want they didn't want to go anywhere near Toronto. They didn't wanna be part of the big the big cheesy thing that Machine. we saw. Yeah. It looked like we just saw these bands that we're doing these subpar, crappy, safe music that we just thought it was kind of embarrassing. And then we'd look west, and Vancouver bands were all like trying to wear costumes. It and had a cellist in the band. Yeah, it just <laughs> it just seemed like the big city bands were trying way too hard, and we had an edge. Us in like cities like Halifax, we all had an edge because we didn't give a flying hoot.
0: Yeah, you can say fuck on here. It's okay. We didn't give a flying hoot. He's cleaned and censored. You don't want to swear in front of your dogs. Yeah. Um, My
1: dogs are like having a full-on wrestling match. They are. It's just right crazy.
0: <laughs> this is like free entertainment. And what's the fluffy one called? Um, there's Penny, who's Pen- like the... Uh, Penny? Uh, whatever you call these kind of dogs. They're both the same color, so kind it's like... Kind of like an
1: Alaskan kind of yeah, husky so
0: dog. Penny is, seems to be taking... Edie. Edie. Who's a yellow lab. A yellow lab. He's just like, yeah, I'm into this. This is great. Shall I put the mic on there and see what happens? Yeah. Oh, you got it right in the face.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Watch out for dark hair all over your microphone muff now.
0: So uh, that was our slight interlude now, talking about commentating what's happening here. What else is Wait, we have coffee. Oh, we have coffee. Do you want me to pause? Or do you want to make coffee? Wait, we need to get coffee.
1: You want to line up the... Okay, you can push pause. Uh, We're back. We have our coffee. We got coffee now. Brought to you by... Well, actually, today it's brought to you by...
0: Starbucks unfortunately mm. today but
1: usually we go to ideal coffee in these parts
0: I, I've, I found a coffee company called Death Wish Coffee Company oh yeah and they mail it to you and they gave me some free coffee because I wanted them to be a sponsor mm. so they showed, sent me free coffee so I still have to mention it from time to time
1: how is the Death Wish Coffee it's the best I bet it's incredible
0: it's, it's actually called the strongest coffee in the world they've self branded themselves to be the strongest coffee in the world okay where are we um, uh, we're in Winnipeg. So this dude comes from Toronto to join this band that's been sort of like Frenzios, because you and John sort of are the BMX buddies, right? That's, that's the link with BMX, right? Oh, yeah. John Stewart.
1: John Stewart, uh, our days in Red Fisher. Yeah, we, we, I turned pro uh, one year before him, so we were both pro BMX racers, and we, we kind of met growing in, in our early mid-teens on our amateur national circuit.
0: Where where was it in the
1: states too? Um I we traveled all over Canada. I did a fair amount of the US cuz my dad really liked getting in the car with the whole family and just going. Um Stuart didn't do that much US work at the time, but uh, I certainly did a like every race I could get my hands on. My luckily I had a really supportive family that way. and My younger brother was also a pretty hardcore BMX racer. Kenny. Kenny. Yeah. Kenny. Kenny's can-
0: my Facebook friend. I see him there. Hi occasionally. Kenny.
1: Kenny's my brother
0: <laughs> you talk to him much?
1: Yeah, sometimes not. He's a good boy He just moved So, gotta check in with him See how his new place is Sweet I think it's right on Albert Street Still in Regina
0: <laughs> No, very good
1: Albert Street, man
0: Yeah, man It's nice around Is that downtown?
1: That's the that's the street that runs The whole entire length North yeah. and south
0: Yeah I was there two years ago, and it is absolutely out of this world. They got a park there, and it's like... They like got a park in Regina. there? Yeah, they got this park right in the middle, <laughs> and like a water fountain.
1: Oh, yeah, that's been there for a long time.
0: Yeah, well, it's, they also have, uh, we went and had... I think uh, that's
1: called a speaker's corner. Ooh,
0: but it was, it was an interesting time to go back there, actually, for me, because it was like, I saw Zen. Mm. Hadn't seen him in like 15 years since he tried to knock my block off when we were in this huge fight in Los Angeles. Oh boy! I think that was the last. Oh well, no! I think I saw him again a few other times. But uh,
1: did you have any of his pizza? He has a big pizza. Uh, he has a big now. pizza
0: thing going on, and I'm actually trying to. He might use my. Uh, I use I build websites from time to time, and he might use my services to do oh, the nice. online ordering part of it. Nice. Artis- well, I've already said it now, so uh, it's oh, going to okay. happen.
1: Artisan pizza Artisan. Artisan. from from Regina artisan because his name is zen
0: he makes pizza in his house imagine and and sells it to people who like it's he's got a cool thing going there actually
1: don't you need some kind of uh
0: <laughs> a well, i won't say anything <laughs> out here in ontario <laughs> <We have> these <laughs> little green things they stick on the windows
1: yeah like there's one i swiped out of a window in la don't tell anyone <laughs> it's a grade b rating uh, from l.a
0: so, so the year is 19, I think it was 91, and I moved there. And, and what was your, like, reactions to, a, a, like, you know, a dude like me who was from Toronto who definitely had a different, I don't know, outlook? Uh, it was
1: pretty easy because we looked at you as a guy that wasn't from Toronto. Okay. See, we were like, we heard about all these bands and... Like, Mal Havoc was the first one, the big one we heard of coming out of these these areas outside of Toronto. Like, mm-hmm. And then, uh, oh, what was that band? Five Foot Nothing, was yep. that what they were called? They yeah. they were amazing. And then we heard Trigger Happy, and uh, before Trigger
0: Happy, Al's band called... Kingpin. Kingpin. That was my... Yeah, that was the first time my came so through town. So, we're
1: hearing all of these bands, and we're like, hey, these are cool bands from Ontario... Mm-hmm. We weren't calling them Toronto bands because they were all like Pickering, and yeah, Oshawa yeah, yeah. and yeah. all these areas. So like, I, I guess is what we now know as the GTA. I guess, but yeah, for us Winnipeggers, we never considered them Toronto bands because they were cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, there was also there's a DIY ethic that we we sort of saw with each other because we're we're getting in a van, and we're driving to Winnipeg to put on a show for whatever twenty people, and there was it wasn't obviously for money or Fame it was to actually get out and do it, and we were like like we were one of the first bands to get out of town was Kingpin, then Mal Havoc. but then Malhavic had like a real record deal and stuff, like right. they were like a real a real group, yeah, real, and a lot of people went out to those shows for the shock value, yeah, yeah, we were just talking about it actually, in the last episode, we were talking a lot about james and in his life because <laughs> I was um one of the original. Uh, guys from a band called Domestic Violence. Oh, yeah. Justin Small, who's in Do Make, Say, Think. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was on the show. And uh, we've both known James since high school. Wow. Yeah. But we don't need to inundate it with James' conversation. Yeah. I I only met him, like, once at Rob Sanzo's studio. He is the nicest guy ever, but very opinionated and a little crazy. I like that. Yeah, me too. So, yeah, so moving to Winnipeg for me was an interesting thing because I didn't really know anybody. All I knew was John, and I didn't even really know Jason. And I remember like having long conversations with you because you were the one that actually sort of became my tour guide. <laughs> uh, <laughs> first moving there, and
1: this is Main Street. This is Port- Portage <laughs> yeah, Street. Yeah, we were I mean, <laughs> you know, being down Winnipeg. at the forks
0: and talking, like just talking. Like there was a lot of talking going on. Yeah. And I, I like that because I was. N- I've never moved out of my yeah my house at that point. You right. Know? I was I'm living in a whole different province. Wow. And, and talking with people who who are sort of out on their own, but it was good to be taken into this nice little ecosystem family, which didn't really exist in my town at that time. It was pretty, uh, pretty caustic. It's just it's why I left. Right. Right. And did you ever, I mean, there was never any real rifts in, in Winnipeg scenes at all that I noticed if there was, it was, it wasn't as bad as the ones that I witnessed in other scenes. Yeah.
1: There wasn't really much of, uh, like competition or any of that kind of vibe it was mm-hmm. quite the opposite especially our our tight little world like yeah. it was all like very left-wing very um
0: except for 12 eyes those guys were well, assholes. yeah well yeah <laughs> <laughs> they were
1: just like the smiliest nicest guys no ever. i know it's true <laughs> <laughs> i it cousin yeah. shit yeah i didn't really see much of people having not like the 70s or 80s hardcore scenes where there's allegiance and gangs and, like, yep. our band is cooler than your band and we're going to fight you because we're better. Yeah. It was sort of the opposite, complete
0: opposite of that. Was I think like, there was a lot of angry punk rock in the, in the early to mid-80s, too. That was, people were, like, little brothers of that. They were yeah. like, no, we've seen enough of that. We yeah. don't need this anymore.
1: Well, yeah, the whole 80s hardcore birth and the violent pits and all that,
0: yeah. Like stretch marks. And, yeah,
1: we're kind of at an age where we kind of missed a lot of that, luckily.
0: Yeah, there was still like a West Coast feeling to it, because there was a sense of community. And so you you, you hung there for what? how long? Because you came to Toronto in what year?
1: Um, I lived in Winnipeg throughout the 90s. I think I went there in like 91 or whatever, and left in 2000, 99 or 2000, right at the end of the year, and kind of had a fresh start in Toronto in 2000. Mm-hmm. So that's like, 15 and a half years ago what made you leave almost 16 16 years oh boy yeah uh um at the time i was uh hmm let's see yeah like winnipeg was a great city to live in there was so much that was going on there like boy i just got so active like you mentioned earlier the recording school next thing you know i'm recording every single punk band in winnipeg and uh opened up a health food store with a bunch of other people and
0: Oh pure lard. Was that pure lard? No, no. that was
1: a restaurant. No, that, sorry. Yeah. That Brad dude had yeah. um we had a place with a bad hippie name called Sunflower Co-op. Okay. And uh yeah, so like all this stuff that went on in the Winnipeg days and then uh the year when late 80, late 90s, uh that's when the Weaker Than started, like 97ish and that's right. By the time that band started, we kind of got huge right away and I figured I'm gonna go live in the big city finally I was just turning 30 and I was moved to Toronto
0: living see it's funny because I talked to Jason about this when I first moved to Winnipeg and about he'd said I'll never move to Toronto we have what I said all the same stuff in Winnipeg we have all the same records we have all the same scene and vibe and then sure enough he, he, he moves over you know and there's, there's some sort of like, once you come here and sort of realize what you can take out of it, yeah. maybe that's what allows people to sort of say, well, it's not so bad.
1: Well, I think Jason called what, when I moved here in an experiment, I moved here a year before he did. And it was like, if it works out for Sutton, then I'm moving out there. That was pretty much his <laughs> thinking without sort of saying it. Because <laughs> he did mention that to I me mean, after uh, when he finally did move here. you he, he, he did mention that but uh hmm yeah toronto it, it was that weird thing where i was like i don't like this city i don't like how everyone's trying so hard and the big music industry pressure and all this corny stuff that bands are thinking they have to do and then it just took coming and hanging out in the city and seeing that when you go down a street like queen street it's not home hardware walmart rona it's not like winnipeg where it's just a bunch of huge box stores and then there's a mcdonald's if you're hungry you know it Mm -hmm. was all of a sudden it was joe's hardware and Freddie's diner and and mary's coffee shop and it's like wow this city is like it's like a utopia almost
0: it's like all these
1: little indie businesses and they go for miles and miles then you go to another street and it goes for miles and miles and you're like I mm-hmm. love this.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, t- you could try to uh, try to un- like put a theory as to why Home Hardware or Home Depot isn't at Queen and Bathurst. But the only thing I can come up with is the only reason is because there's nowhere to put a big box. Yeah, uh, I
1: guess it's as simple as that. Yeah.
0: You know, like the whole idea of just geographically speaking that w- in the suburbs of Toronto, there's the Home Depot, which put Freddy's hardware store out of business yeah put and then those people who worked in those hardware stores now work at home depot right and And they're really fun to talk to
1: oh yeah (laughs) and that's the classic uh you know the big box stores and the money and the power comes in and puts all the small people out of business but in it when you're yeah like you were saying in the center of a city there's just it's just i guess it's getting worse now in the 15 16 years i've been living here yeah you see you the hero seeing,
0: burgers, and you see the
1: Starbucks, yeah, and you see yeah, that you know. there's the Boston Pizza moving in, or whatever. And but nevertheless, it's for the most part, Toronto has kept a pretty indie kind of vibe in their downtown core, and that's really what's kept me here.
0: And, and interesting enough to like to be able to sort of be in a band that's based out of Winnipeg and live in Toronto. I guess you're just a cheap flight away from going on tour. I guess there wasn't any real real practicing because you guys already kind of knew what you were doing right
1: (laughs) and i would have never just said oh i'm gonna live thousands of miles away from my band if it wasn't for the fact that we really hit uh at our all of us have been playing in bands for so long and we kind of realized that this band is um our first tour was europe for example and then our second tour was through the u.s and then finally canada and it's like okay we're much bigger than just a local band playing in Winnipeg, and we have to sort of acknowledge that we're going everywhere, and we want to go everywhere. So uh, moving out to Toronto was just like you said. it's just a flight back to get ready, prep for a tour, and go on the road. We're now pros, you know? And they could likewise come out here, prep for a tour, and go. So once Jason moved out to Toronto a year after me, so there's the rhythm section out here and the other boys out in Winnipeg, and we would literally look at it like, okay, we're going to start a tour based on where we live. So our where we live became the most important part of how we toured. So we would do a Western tour of Western U.S. and Western Canada. And so we'd fly out to Winnipeg, start the rehearsals, do that tour. Mm-hmm. And then a few weeks later, we would get the uh, Winnipeg boys to fly out to Toronto, do a couple of rehearsals, and then do an Eastern U.S., Eastern Canada tour. So it was like, yeah. it was keeping it all... In proximity, keeping it all like simple, really.
0: Yeah, the i and the idea is that everybody kind of knows how to play, so you're just really just honing in start and finish of songs. <laughs> you know, what well, I mean? like, yeah, it's all
1: it's about getting together when you're writing new stuff and sure. wanting that was really it. But as far as rehearsing the songs that you've played, you know, if you're doing two hundred odd shows a year, you kind of know what to do. Yeah, I think you <laughs> you know the three chords of that sure. the song, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, honestly, when I first moved to Toronto, the way I used to rehearse, I didn't have any band around, so I would just put on my headphones, put on my bass, stand on my bed, and just jump up and down and like basically like air banding yeah. with listening to the music, and I would play without hearing what I'm playing. Like a, my my bass isn't plugged into anything, yeah, <laughs> i just yeah. playing. Yeah, because that's
0: uh, the general to yeah. stage setup.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I know my fingers are going in the right spot. Yeah. And for me, it's more about just getting the, uh, working up the calluses and uh, and by jumping on the bed and stuff, you can get a sweat going yeah. and you're working on your yeah. calisthenics.
0: I, I don't think I've ever been in better shape when I used to practice three times a week. Yeah. I, you know, like... And especially when you're playing a lot, you know, it's, <laughs> Yeah. Is singing and whatever you can you know where to pace yourself. You know where to, uh, yeah. You know where to give it. It's like riding a bicycle. You know, you just know where the hills are. You know where to, you know where to push hard. You, you know, know where how to, to get rad. You know where to coast. The, um, yeah. And I bet you, sort of in the early two thousands, it wasn't as easy to just sort of send a. You could send emails, but you couldn't send a song or an idea or talk on Skype, and 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 communicate ideas. It was it's true. It was it's, like a phone call, right? Which was the fidelity yeah. was probably horrible and writing songs and stuff like that. Right?
1: Yeah. But I mean, every, every era has their ways and people always figure out how to get things done. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we didn't really suffer in that way.
0: Mm-hmm. And when it came to writing songs, it was sort of like, was it a, not a lot of people know this, but y'all sort of wrote songs in the week of dance. So like you were all sort of somewhat involved with songwriting.
1: Um I think most bands um unless it's like one person that just hires a bunch mm. of musicians and goes by a band name uh I think that the the way for a band to be at its best is when much like a sporting team where everyone has to contribute and everyone has to know how to bounce off each other and um what's that great word they use uh 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 I forget some kind of word about uh <laughs> 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 see that's how good i am at being in a band um cohesive something like synchronicity that. so yeah those words work really well yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's the idea that you uh everyone is on the same page and yes. if you do something and someone goes hey i'm gonna i'm gonna follow with this kind of sure. idea." sure so it's it's knowing your musicians. so if someone for example comes in with a couple chords and a basic melody it can go a very different way if you add a bass line or a certain drum style or a guitar riffing. So yeah, we were all very active in the songwriting. John Sampson did all the lyrics, but uh, we certainly pushed him pretty hard. And sometimes it would take him like eight months before the lyrics were finished, but we'd be working on it and tweaking the song the whole time.
0: Yeah. the in playing in a band with Jason, because Jason, it's sort of undocumented, but When Jason was in Red Fisher, he was like a Bill Stevenson machine drummer kind of like. But when he joined the Weaker Dance he turned into a completely different drummer. It's like he found his voice in drumming.
1: He's one of those kind of drummers that can... uh, I found that he he gets influenced by a lot of things pretty quickly. Uh, That's not necessarily a bad thing, but Mm -hmm. uh, he uh, can adapt very quickly. He's like one of those he was probably an amazing drummer before he even picked up sticks kind of guys. Like he just has this skill built into his soul. So yeah. Um, I think he just listened to the music and went, I'm going to play like this. He felt just, it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he whatever was normal and made sense for him. And yeah, I thought he did a wonderful job in that
0: band because playing with him in red Fisher was playing like playing with a machine. You know, he was. Yeah, you know, the songs
1: would, were. Yeah, like I guess the speed and tempo and the style of music at the time we were doing
0: dictated the.
1: Yeah, yeah. 90s pop punk. Sure. You know.
0: Yeah, and then when you know, it's the most the, the interest, the neatest comment I ever heard was from John Stewart when he was re- watching talking about Jason's drumming, going, "This is uh, this is a different drummer. This is the drummer I have because he's known him the longest, right? Yeah. Like since they were kids. Because this is a completely different drummer. It's nice to see him that he found his uh, his calling. You know, which is you know, playing and it was fun watching him in soundcheck because he would always try to fuck up the song somehow or another, <laughs> <laughs> which keeps you thinking, right? Yeah, you know, he keeps you know, keeps you active, and and that's sort of a neat little thing. That, now, that's an interesting part of the weaker dance is that part of is the rhythm section of it because it does drive it down. You know, a lot of people say it's the words and the chords and the mel and the feeling, but there's a lot going on there in the rhythm section.
1: Well, I think there. We tried. I mean, it's yeah. all pretty basic stuff. I mean, it's all like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. But a lot it's, of it was like the subtle like push and pulls, and that's the stuff where we would, you know, try to really bring out the melodies by just you know holding the beat back a little and then kind of pushing it forward for without the even talking
0: about it. Like yeah, yeah we're going to just do this in bar twenty. Yeah,
1: and now. that's something that as a bass player, I really in that band, I kind of really figured out my my style of of really like getting the behind the beat, ahead of the beat, and really getting that change within music. And it really took that long of my playing to really find it.
0: Yeah. Now, now watch out. You are a jukebox and a guy. Like we haven't even talked about how you can play any song without actually hearing it. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've done that with you. you. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this before, but it has to get said that once I did a rehearsal where we had a, we had no bass player and we were opening for the Weaker Thans and I said to John, John, can you just play bass during this, we're playing for 30 minutes or whatever. And he goes, sure, why not? And I didn't even think to send you songs and we didn't even have the means to do that because it was like, for me, I didn't even have a computer at that point. So I said, let's do it. And he goes, okay, shows up. <laughs> and he goes, how does it start? Give me the first note.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I probably need a few more than the first note. <laughs>
0: I think you heard it or you had you had heard the songs in passing. But we sort of gave you the the rundown and bam, played it perfectly. We played one rehearsal and then played two shows or three shows with you playing bass, and it was well, good. It, it was like unbelievable because like, and' you've, you've described to me how you've developed this technique to understand because you went to a school, right, a music school in Regina. Yeah,
1: my high school was a very it
0: was uh, an artistic bass, yeah, yeah arty school so there was an, there was a method, and you, you, you told it to me, but I can't remember now, boy, how was it? There was a method I told you. Yeah, you told how me How I that, remembered all this stuff. I think um, you said something about you would understand if it was in the key of A. Oh, obviously, there's a certain amount of notes that work. Yeah, and you'd determine you'd sort of somehow been able to isolate the notes, the next notes it would kind of go to.
1: Okay, that seems pretty obvious, and probably something that I would have said <laughs> 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 back way back then.
0: It wasn't but, even way back then. I think it was like last year. No, way. or two years ago when, when we was, were when we were doing the arson record.
1: When did I? Oh, and that's when I described this to you? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. I guess I was trying to throw out a little bit of, yes, I did learn a bunch about music theory little when I was wisdom. younger. <laughs> yeah, like if someone names off the key, you, I think it's important as a bass player to know what notes are the minor or the seventh or yeah. the major, seventh, whatever is going on. So yeah, it's pretty quick to eliminate notes if you want a song to make sense. Like mm-hmm. if you start on a G, it's,
0: generally going to go to a c maybe yeah. maybe or maybe a d yeah yeah or yeah maybe an e minor ooh <laughs> see see that's the thing i don't know but the the i know that do you pl- when you play bass do you play with like you can hear the note in your head or do you just fundamentally know where to put your fingers there's two different schools there yeah
1: i think that uh i think the best way for memorizing songs it's it's actually the stay away from there but oh dog I would say that it's about the actual physical memory, like getting the muscle memories and remembering where you're putting your hands on the on the fretboard, and that's probably the easiest way for me to remember where. So songs your mechanical out. style, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But you know, always using any kind of skills that I've learned over the years to remember stuff. Because these days I seem to, uh, I have this little variety show that once a month I do this wild variety show <laughs> where I have to learn, like, 30-odd songs.
0: All from an era of whatever style? Like, yeah. yeah. Is okay. that the Sid's kids thing? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: it's based out of... Uh, it's a Cleve Anderson project, who's a legendary Toronto drummer.
0: Who's also on the show. Oh, no way. Yeah. There you go. Early days, like wow. last year, yeah.
1: Cleve put together this band of doing 77 punk, basically, uh, but he wanted to include all of the singers from the original era of the toronto scene and i really didn't know anything about that whole world until i started meeting all these people and realized how huge and how influential toronto's 77 to 80 punk rock scene really was yeah and changed my whole perspective on the city i tell Mm you meeting all these folks and playing all these songs with them and some of them are into their 60s uh yeah (laughs) mid-60s some of them yeah yeah it's I, always funny when you're with people 20 years older than you. You're me. <laughs> the young guy in the
0: band, too, really, aren't you? Cause well, yeah. You're like a mere 44. 40. Yeah, our guitar player is 10 years older than me, and drummer's like 20 <laughs> years older than me, yeah. Yeah, and Cleve Anderson, for you at home, was the original, um, well, he was in Blue Rodeo, but he was also in the... Some weird punk bands like the Battered Wives. Battered Wives, that's what I Yeah.
1: Yeah, others.
0: Yeah, and he's he's awesome, and I went and did a few of those, and it was kind of interesting to. Uh, it, it feels like beer league hockey night without ice and pads, but everybody's kind of there to hang out, and it's there once a month. Yeah, ritual.
1: Yeah, it, and I haven't been to one in a while. And because it's uh, old people, it's like it's yeah. over by nine. Well, it is over by, like, 11, usually. Honestly, it's, like, Sunday nights, and it's done by 11 or 10.30. Yeah. It's a whack of fun. But a lot of these people have really, like, they've known each other for 80% of their lives, so they're a very tight crowd, and they're always, like, the same people that come out. So uh, it's pretty interesting. I really still don't think I fit in there, but I have a lot of fun (laughs) with it. I got
0: in trouble for taking someone's song... Uh, oh
1: you did you did a misfit song yeah and like
0: yeah I remember that she got all mad at me <laughs> It's like yeah that was fun and there was a new wave night I did which I had the most fun and yeah uh, you brought out a squeeze song I brought a squeeze and a split end song nice I got all <laughs> I really expanded the, uh, the horizon there for myself yeah Yeah, you know, it's, it's, see, the whole idea that music at 65, to those people, it's still like they're 25 again. It's still that same feeling that it's like there's a a camaraderie, there's a community. And this is the part of music that I think is needs to be either documented or encouraged. Well, it
1: luckily is both of those things. It's very well documented, that original Toronto punk scene. And, um, Yeah, a lot of these people are very encouraged. Like, we, uh, I treat it just like kind of like the 90s Winnipeg style, where it's an open stage for anyone. Anyone who wants to come up and sing a classic punk rock song, the stage is theirs. I just hope that we know it. So. Consequently, I've learned like three hundred odd punk songs.
0: It must be wild because even when you start getting into the Ramones era of, of that, it's because they're all kind of the same. Yeah, you just it,
1: it's like those songs are actually harder to remember because you got to remember all the slight little nuances, yeah. and if you screw up.
0: You, yeah, you've it's broken a, a moral up. law Yeah, exactly <laughs> I did a Well, I, the band I play in the other band they do Is, is a Ramones tribute cover thing Oh, right And we songs. were in Sarnia And we ran out of songs So we'd start doing Ramones songs And I came back And I had no idea That I knew so many Ramones songs <laughs> <laughs> Yeah <You know, laughs> I let him do a couple And I'm like, oh, I could do that I can do that I can do all those songs It's easy You know But yeah, so It is documented Because there's the last pogo and Yeah And there's books coming out all the time There's tons of books And there's It is documented You know I was talking to somebody up in Sault Ste. Marie And they were talking about this guy That wrote a book about northern Ontario punk rock And how he fucked it all up Wow And and it's all wrong And he needs to be rewritten Well that's pretty cool
1: Yeah I didn't even
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: like he's going around to Timmins
0: and North yeah. Bay and stuff. Yeah. Pretty cool. But unfortunately the the it's it's off. It's not it's it's his look at it. Oh. So in these you know, I don't I'm not naming names, but there's there's an interesting look at like what punk rock was and what it is now. Like you know, and punk rock to us when we were in our twenties was I think about the same to what it is now, but at the same time it's like I like my house. I like like dogs you know? <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it's
1: punk rock what does it mean does it mean that you don't want to move ahead in your life when you're a kid you just think about the moment you don't really think about what am I going to be like 20 years from now you just hope you're still
0: doing kind of the same thing and absolutely
1: thinking with a positive headspace and
0: so yeah being punk rock doesn't necessarily mean being selfish and bullheaded at the same time well, even though that sort of the-
1: before our era it used to just mean you were a a criminal
0: or something. Yeah.
1: So, so, uh, I think we're all doing pretty good.
0: Yeah. You know, punk rock too is a, is a, it's a, it's an interesting, cause it means so many things now, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like you say, used to be like just being badass and.
1: Yeah. It was like you played in a band, but really you, you were like surviving for your life out on the streets or something. It, it seemed like it was a lot more hardcore before it got all softened for us. Mm hmm. I mean, we or the era right after hardcore, or even during hardcore. But once it got into the Descendants and uh, Big Drill Car and that kind of vibe, yeah. they're like, those bands aren't violent, you know. <laughs> it started
0: turning. You're right. It started turning sort of introspective rather than. Yeah. You know, intro, You know, more introverted and less. You know. Yeah, it was more about extroverted. It it's more about
1: we can do this, and let we can play music, and not about let's go fuck shit up at a, and
0: get rowdy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the police are coming.
1: They're coming for you. Boom,
0: boom, bad boys. Hear it? Yeah. That sounds there extreme. Yes. Don't fuck Ooh. with us. Cops are coming. Um, yeah. And music too. So, so you join this band, Arson? That. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're still in Toronto. I mean, we're kind of going all over the place. But I, I like this is this is the part of the podcast I like where we actually talk. I don't. Like, interviewing people? Uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Tell me how awesome you are, Johnson. Well, you know, it's been said. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Scholars have (laughs) (laughs) wonched. Joining Arson, you're the young guy in the band again, right? Like, you are, what, 44 and all these guys are, like, at least 10 years older than you? Yeah, the reason I, um, well, I started, when I was in a
1: band, hmm, let's see, after The Weaker Thans, I started a little band called The Caraways here in Toronto, uh, and... During my time in that band, we would play a bunch of shows with a band called Luxury Bob and the drummer of that band was Cleve Anderson. and so Cleve that's when he asked me to if I was interested in starting this 77 thing with him. And so when that first started, I met the guitar player Marcel. Marcel Lafleur is uh, the original guitar player of the Toronto first wave punk band called Arson he started that band when he was like 17 or something Mm -hmm. real true 77 stuff too yeah Um, like Iggy kind of you know really going for it almost almost like uh, New York Dolls at times like almost pre-punk but uh, really cool really grooving band and they wanted to write a new album and they wanted to just play some more shows they were like you know like old dudes wanting to get back on stage and do it so uh, I said, sure, I'll go. And it was the same situation as uh, playing with you that one time where yeah. I walked into the room and met the drummer while he was setting up his stuff on stage. I walked up to him and said, yeah, hi, I'm John. I'm supposed to be playing with you guys, I think, tonight. <laughs> and, and so I met David Steinberg on the
0: stage. Who's also on
1: the show. Yeah. David, amazing. Yeah. You've got everyone, I it do. Seems. Everybody, almost. David, the lawyer of the stars. That's right. So super cool guy. I meet him and he's like, yeah, we'll have some fun, whatever. And then uh, I meet the singer when he shows up. <laughs> like <laughs> I already knew the guitar player. And then we just belted through some songs and it was quite fun, I thought. And yeah. next thing you know, they actually booked some rehearsals and some more.
0: Got him back into it.
1: Yeah. And uh, we decided to uh, record a album, full length album with Simon Head here. That's right. And then it sounds wonderful.
0: It does sound good, huh? That's probably, you know what, that is some of my best work and uh and it's interesting the we were talking you know before about like earlier like a couple years ago about the concept of mixing an album and and how i would be constantly calling going what is going on these lunatics are asking for crazy things (laughs) but it it made it better yeah Yeah, it made it better because i my head was expanded because first of all we're mixing it over the internet
1: that's right. You and uh, the guitar player Marcel were yeah. literally like he was listening to like a stream of your mixes,
0: and it was five second delayed. Wow! So he and then we could talk on Skype. So he'd be listening to it and then and then getting, giving me feedback. But I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" And there was a lot of like because there was so much recorded to get it all. Because that's not the way I work. I usually sort of commit to the yeah. to the take absolutely. Where there was a different take you could mix every song individually to be a different song it seemed
1: like you had like so much guitars to choose from yeah
0: (laughs) but we got it we honed it in and thanks to him it became this great record you know that's good and you know they did give me like a little bit of like, hey, we didn't like the way we had to do it online, but I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the deal, you yeah. know, that's the way we roll. And it was, uh, yeah. And it turned out great, and they went and mixed, mastered it down in New York with somebody who does stuff like that. And oh
1: yeah, I remember it was like a big
0: place. They went and stayed like at in New York. I thought you've spent more money mastering and traveling to the <laughs> New York than you yeah. did on the album. But regardless, it turned out good. I wanted so to do another one. So in
1: your one. bio, you can write mastered in New York City. That's right. Well, you can say that. You could just go
0: down there with my computer, and we could do it in a hotel room. And yeah, see. totally. But, but they um, they came back with this record, and it's done, and I'm really happy with it, you know. And I think they are, and I, I want to do more. You know, I almost got a Jitters recording out of it. Based no way. On, yeah, because David plays in the Jitters. He's uh, in the Jitters.
1: He was in the Jitters in the after our after his punk rock days in the mods and stuff
0: yeah that's right
1: he was also in uh that other stiff bader oh what was that hilarious band he was in though oh human league or
0: something. oh no that's that's we're only human human league um he was in i forget i forget too he talked about it go listen to episode two i think it was episode Episode two or three (laughs) (laughs) wow we're in episode 70 something now right now
1: wow
0: yeah wow well I'm glad hey, I'm
1: near the end. Yeah, you're well, hopefully it's not the end. No, there's I don't think there's many do it. more to come. There's
0: many more to come. I even have uh I even had because I'm saying had, I had Snow, the Informer there's on. No way. Yeah, man.
1: I love the Informer.
0: He loves the Informer too.
1: I love how when that song got huge, people didn't know that it was like a kid from Oshawa or something. And think it was great. Or yeah, Scarborough. Yeah, wherever yeah. he's from, and it yeah. got like huge in like <laughs> places like uh Dominican Republic and Jamaica and yeah. places
0: were like loving this song, not knowing that it was like this Canadian kid. Just came back from Jamaica just like two weeks ago. Oh yeah. Like three weeks ago now to uh, doing an album. Nice. I'd still do, you know, still doing it. Amazing. And I think that's the cool thing about music too. I think you can, you can keep doing it as long as you put it into the right perspective as to why you do it. And as you get older, your perspective changes. And what becomes important sometimes is, you know, life changes things right yeah and music to you like when you're in your 20s obviously it's different to it is now right it's very different gotta be
1: like i think that what you like and what you dislike evolves but ultimately you you build an opinion on music when you're in your 20s and it it just gets stronger it gets more honed as you get older but uh the desire to play and to perform and all of that it's just as strong as ever. If, in fact, it's probably stronger now,
0: because mm-hmm.
1: you realize all the. So easy to take it for granted when you're doing 200 shows in a year, you know. It's yeah, now, totally. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was talking to to uh, to to Greg Nori about that. Now he doesn't have to play in a band, and he loves it. Like, yeah, it's become his new. Oh, this is the most favorite thing in, my, in the world to do because he's rediscovered why he likes music.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah.
0: It's not his job anymore yeah and being in the week of the ends and having to do 200 shows a year I guess could become almost that's your job you know what um, I mean?
1: yeah like you certainly realize quickly that um, you're around the same people for like 23 and a half hours because you're only sleeping about half an hour a day and yeah. you're fueled by alcohol and bread <laughs> <laughs> you know you're, you're getting the hummus plate and bread and you're your bowels are backed up and you're you're hung over and you're exhausted and you haven't had a shower in weeks and you know like that's what touring is and it's like obviously once you get to the level that the weaker than's got to we actually got to stay in real hotels i mean the first few years of that band we were still staying on floors but by about the second album we were like finally hey we could stay in a hotel room so it yeah once took you, years to get into a once tour you, bus, too. Yeah. Well, I actually never got into yeah. a tour bus. Yeah. Uh, I think the first tour after me was on a tour bus, but we used the tour with two vans, which was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. So had an equipment van. Yeah, we'd have six people and two vans. So once you start building up more luxuries on your touring, you you kind of have a better time with the whole fact that you're with the same people over and over and over. I mean, I kind of personally love touring, and I like small spaces, and I... I, I could go in a van and just sit there mm-hmm. for
0: months, unless it's freezing cold and you break down. I know the feeling.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we've all done it many times.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, well, the idea, too, is that when you're in your mid-40s, you don't want to be in a freezing cold van. There's a reason why you play music. That you want to, you don't need to. You don't need to. That's the operative yeah. word. You don't need to sit in a freezing cold van anymore. Right,
1: and you don't need to sleep on someone's floor that in a dirty punk house in the middle of winter with an open window beside you. You know,
0: you just yeah. don't have to do that anymore. You can, yeah, yeah. And although, I mean, it's still
1: kind of fun. If, but, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't really want to do that anymore.
0: No, I mean, if someone said to you tomorrow, "Hey, my my band, the Dirty Farts, are gonna go play in Europe. It's our first tour." And we're playing it we're taking a high ace and it's going to be seven of us. <laughs> 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 like the, just picture the worst case scenario. It's okay because dirty crud fuck is putting on the shows and they're going to be all great. Yeah. Are you coming? Sure. Whoa. Really?
1: Except you have to buy your own airplane
0: ticket. E- <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We might get factor, but who knows? Yeah. All right, there's a scenario. Would you do it? I don't think I would.
1: Probably not, because at this point in my life, I I do do other things. Yeah, so yeah, it yeah. may interfere with the other things that I'm doing.
0: Sure, you have a job, like you you still you're an RF tech, right, at the uh, Air Canada Center.
1: Yeah, most yeah. people wouldn't even know what that is, but I'm more than just an RF tech, which is radio frequency technician. Um, I work in the audio broadcast industry these Whoa, days. Look at you. Which is super weird because I really feel like this is technically my first real job ever in my life. But it's in
0: the art, sort of. Well, no, it's
1: it's in sports. Sure, but it's
0: somewhat close to, you know, Um, air training. Everything
1: I do in my life all has a feel like it's something to do with music or a show or something. Like, um, I work on a live TV show and making sure all the audio and all everything, lighting and everything looks pretty and sounds pretty. And I honestly feel like I'm a a bit of a stagehand, like a roadie kind of guy going out, handing someone a new guitar, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's kind of how I treat my job. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's a lot of fun. I've got, I'm on the inside action of all Raptors and Leafs information and meeting a lot of the Former players on those teams. It's it's always a trip when you're just standing there beside Daryl Sittler or whatever. You know, it's
0: there must have been there was a time though where you were sitting in the house watching every every game and stuff, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, I'm, I've always been a hockey fan. I grew yeah. up as a pretty serious goalie and been playing men's league hockey until uh, really until about this time last year when some dude took me out.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, you had an injury, huh?
1: Yeah, it's probably like a, a life of abuse and being hard on my body but uh i felt this injury and then a few months later while working a a gig doing uh monitors for a band i had to run out of the the area where i was working and i just felt like my leg literally ripped out of my skin Mm. and it turns out after getting mris and stuff i got like a damaged hip and i have to get it replaced well it's easier than it was it's what i hear
0: and you're young you'll heal fast I'm
1: young. I'll heal
0: fast. <laughs> Usually if you're 80 and you have to have your hip replaced, that's uh, that's pretty intrusive.
1: Yeah, that's got to be the worst. Yeah. But, hey, that's what happens when you go hard. You got to pay the price <laughs> 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 or whatever.
0: <laughs> I'm too young to stop, man. Yeah, man. Well, playing, because you love playing sports. Like, You take up other sports. There's other sports that are equally as fun.
1: Well, I was thinking... Uh, I'd like to get into a sport that isn't a sport. Uh, Chess? No. Sport of kings? No, I, I kind of wanted to get into, like, a different kind of dance. Like, uh, oh. like I've always been really excited about tap dancing in a very... I know.
0: You keep telling me. You've told me this before. Yeah.
1: I, I don't know why I love tap dancing so. I've never <laughs> tried it, but it's just something that sparks me.
0: <laughs> I thought that it, you'd make a great tap dancer, but I think you'd be better at modern dance. Yeah. There's Um, a lot of things that go on in modern dance that don't require a lot of hip work.
1: Well, yeah, but I think with the new hip, I think that would be good uh, good rehab for the hip, right? You could
0: almost exploit the new hip by doing, like, more moves with that hip.
1: Do you know that commercial for uh, false advertising that's on TV um, where the girl sneaking out of her bedroom window and then a dad comes in and sees her sneaking out and then some guy in a leotard pulls out a little, like, casio keyboard and starts doing this wild dance like, yeah and it's like truth in advertising or something yeah 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 he's holding a sign saying she was going to the library or something. <laughs> that's how i want to dance like that dude
0: yeah that's i think that's modern or interpretive 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 dancing isn't modern dance it's you a sect to... of well, i know these things because i do a lot of these oh, crazy right. dance shows that's right interpretive dance is where you you make the fist like um, like you're like grabbing a, the, the skull, the yeah, gauntlet. It's, yeah. got, it's called a soul grab. Okay. Because <gasps> you're grabbing a soul. Yeah. Then there's a certain move where I saw this guy do it and it's called the poop, where you do this kind of weird little thing that looks like you're pooping on the floor. Oh, yeah. That's in- interpretive is like, it's the weirdest. I don't like it. Now, why are we talking about modern dance? Uh, We like dance. Yeah, I like dance, too. It's fun to watch. Dance, dance, dance. 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 Let's dance. I
1: just did a David Bowie show, 22 songs of David Bowie songs. Speaking of let's dance. Did you get them all? Did we get them all? Like all of them? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I actually sat down and... Had to learn on million baselines.
0: I saw that on the what's his name. Uh, what's his name? It
1: was all the first generation punks. This show, my variety show, mm-hmm. once a month at the Painted Lady, last Sunday of every month.
0: It's always a good time.
1: Punk rock variety show. So all the old punkers were doing all these songs from. We I think we covered like nine or ten different Bowie albums, and we just Jesus. boy, oh boy, we had songs from all eras.
0: Really? Oh, yeah. I'm, you know. I'm going to make it down there. What's the next one coming up? It's coming up in two weeks, right?
1: Yeah, we don't have a theme yet. Mm.
0: Can you make it New Wave again so I can come? Maybe we can do that in
1: the following month.
0: Yeah, do that. Because I
1: don't really have any time. <laughs> <laughs> new Wave week. New well, Wave. New That's always fun. That, yeah. that show we did was super fun. That new yeah, it wave
0: was awesome. Week. It was so much fun. Well, hey, man, thanks for doing this for me with me. I hope that you heal fast
1: oh thanks hey and we didn't even mention the fact that i play in that band rusty now <laughs> oh that
0: band scott mccullough was on the show oh
1: that's right scotty was on that show he was this on this show this show yeah this show
0: how's that going anyways before we go how is rusty going how is it like what you're doing a new album is it finished yeah why aren't you recording it with me
1: i don't know Certain any of questions these. here's what i do know though mm. these guys decided through the influence of john Kastner to get back playing and uh, they decided they loved it again and uh, their bass player lives in england so they got me to be their new bass player and it's been a lot of fun i tell Mm -hmm. you like it's i've been doing a lot of writing with scotty and john lally and i tell you it's just been a blast
0: so lally's back
1: lally's been in the band is playing with us on this new record i don't know like, as far as shows go, we've only done shows with uh, Bob Vespasiani, the very first drummer. Yeah,
0: one free fall drummer, right? Yeah, yeah. and
1: uh, it looks as though uh, we have a show coming up March 11th, I think, at the Horseshoe, a Friday, and I believe that'll be uh, John Lally, So, uh, and he's going to be doing all, we've been doing a bunch of demoing with him, and it's been a lot of fun, and it's a real trip to uh, get out there and write some new songs again, and like you were saying earlier, when you're in your mid 40s and you're writing an album what are you writing it for you know like for me it's just like pure enjoyment now Mm -hmm. i don't care if anyone listens to it and i don't think people know how to buy or stream or whatever the crap happens now yeah so well there's a
0: reason i think music keeps people alive like you know there's certain cases and people we know that had they not found music they probably wouldn't have you know they'd be dead
1: Well, absolutely. You know,
0: it didn't save, you know, it saved a lot of of people. It brought them to that level of despair and deception, you know, but at the same time, it then helped bring them out at the same time.
1: Yeah, if you're going to get there, you're going to get there regardless. Whether you play music or you're an athlete or Mm -hmm. something, you're you're destined to.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, some people take up like, I don't know, jogging and jogging cures... Them of any sort of depression or sure. you know, anything like that. You so need, so anything an will outlet. get you out of it. It's as long as it's it's, it's taken as a positive thing. Because some you know you can take music as being a negative attribute to your life. Well yeah. Easy. You can it's, say this thing ruined my whole life. I don't you know. Well that would be stupid. You could say that. People have said that. I've heard people say Those that. People are dumb. I know. But then I've heard people say that rock and roll saved my soul. Yeah. I Not think... just because it rhymed.
1: Oh. <laughs> Rock and roll That does huh?
0: And I heard that rock and roll Ain't noise pollution And I got I do have about Eight pounds of hair All over yeah, me Yeah
1: My my cat is uh, Definitely getting to your Black dickies there, there you go
0: There you go Well hey man th- um, Thanks for doing this Well
1: thank you Simon
0: We'll do it again one day
1: Episode 140 mm-hmm. Is this episode
0: 70? 75 I
1: think Uh oh That means 150 If we're doubling
0: We'll do it We'll do it in a year Alright I'll come down Yeah No more dogs No more dogs John Sutton everybody Thanks so much for doing that episode John A very good dude And a very good friend Thank you so much again Don't forget everybody This, is that. this episode is brought to you by FetchClass.com FetchClass.com Teaching learning thing Go there Sign up for that I just want to see one person sign up for it Please Do me a favor What's up? You know what's going on? What's going on? Why aren't people signing up for this thing? I don't know. I might just take the website. You know, it's got a better name than its success, I think. FetchClust.com is such a rad name for a website, but I digress. InsideRecorders.com, that's only been going for 25 years. Not the website, but the studio. InsideRecorders.com is a place for you to send your mix to be mixed properly by a professional. And that's me! Don't forget about Banggood.com Don't forget about all the banners on that homepage There's Banggood.com, he's just his friend Amazon Also on that website is the Apple Lock Shop Don't forget to shop Don't forget to pre-order my new acoustic album Don't forget to buy my discography for Foursquare That's 50 songs for $20 Don't forget to pre-order the acoustic album Did I say that? I don't know I don't remember I know I said it earlier today patreon.com slash very important please pledge the show help it out don't forget to like the show on Facebook go to facebook.com slash pod follow me on twitter at simonhead666 like the show on itunes hey check it out on stitcher too it's on stitcher also go check my youtube channel out go search out apple podcast on youtube and go see some videos because I've, I've got a few cool videos stored up there i got one from ron hawkins i got a few from stella panacci i have one from roger scanora who's a famous flamenco guitarist okay who's on next week simon Hey, it's going to be Pat Lackenbauer. Pat Lackenbauer is a fellow podcaster. I was on his podcast about a year ago. He has a podcast called Move and Air. And, you know, he's a fellow podcaster. We've got about the same amount of episodes out. We've been doing it the same amount of time. We, we shoot the shit about podcasting. And if you want to listen in about people talk about podcasting and what it was like in the old days, you know, the huge Then come back next week. Okay, we'll see you all next week. Okay, bye coffee cup